Oh! That's right. I went there. <clears throat> yep. Well, hello everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of You'll Never Talk Alone. I'm your friend Joseph Craven. I'm joined by Alex Level. Alex, hello, how are you? You know, I'm doing great. Having, having a great day, ready to talk about Liverpool, ready to have a completely different episode than the one we put out immediately after the game that just <laughs> featured us two as well. Yeah, no, no Zach. No yeah. similar talking points. No, no, not at all. No Zach, no Will, no Andrew, um, on account of all of them being so uh, infuriated with our uh, 4-3 performance against Leeds that they refused to show up on the podcast uh, recording set. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All of them are busy. But um, we have had the major difference in the episodes, of course, being that uh, we try to put out a quick reaction um, on Saturday, and now we've actually had a few days to contemplate, to consider things, to kind of uh, you know, just think through things a little bit more and try to determine whether or not um, we feel a little differently uh, now compared to how we did on Saturday, whether uh, we've had a little bit of a different perspective um, over the past few days. And of course, mostly to talk about uh, Tim O'Werner and his hot take topics of claiming, yeah, I'm happy that I chose to come to Chelsea as opposed to, you know, straight up saying like, oops, why did I do <laughs> Like, why do people think this is a story? <laughs> I'm glad to be at my second choice. <laughs> they would love that. Um, I, I love, I mean, it's, uh, I, I get it. I get it that people are trying to push his comments as some sort of story because it's like the week of, and it's a big match and it's the first test of like, all right, is Chelsea for real? Um, can Liverpool, you know, really defend a title now? Um, and so I get that it is like, it's kind of buzzworthy, but it is such a non-story. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, who, who thought this would be a good idea? No one. No one thought it'd be a good idea, yet they still published it. That's yet 2020. They, that's 2020 for you. Um, I don't even know if it's like locker room material type of comments, you know? Because it's, yeah. I don't know. It's not like he, he was like, oh yeah, Liverpool's trash. Like, there's no <laughs> way I ever would have seriously signed for them. You know, it's just kind of like, he's just, he's just being a diplomatic player <laughs> and saying what you're <laughs> supposed to say in a press conference. It's not a story. I love it. I just love it. All right. So, uh, Chelsea is, um, uh, as we all know. Uh, well ahead of us in the Premier League table right now. <laughs> sitting uh, sitting pretty in third place. And we, I mean, at this rate, we're not even going to make uh, a European slot um, mm. if everything continues to go exactly how it is. And only the teams that have won matches have won ma- uh, continue to win matches for the rest of the year. Um, but no, uh, right now, both teams, of course, winning. Chelsea going up against... Um, Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, of course, uh, missing their uh, their their star signing. Um, poor Adam Lalana. Let's just talk oh for gosh. just a moment about Brighton. I we we wished Adam Lalana well as he left. Uh, we especially were glad that we didn't have to you know find reasons to keep trying to like put him on the pitch for for Liverpool. Uh, but we wished him well. We helped him, you know, wished him the best and everything. And, I mean, it's not even quite 45 minutes and another injury hits him on an already, you know, injury-plagued career. Just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Have you seen a more heartbreaking, like, story in recent memory? <laughs> I mean, it just seems to happen to players that play for us. I mean, it's kind of like Sturridge. You, you would see him on the field for 15 minutes. Wow, he can still run. What what is this? I didn't know this was possible for him to to be out there for this extended period of time and not be injured. And lo and behold, that happened to Lalana. And it was very sad to see him on the ground and just immediately start taking off his stuff. Yeah, uh, not stripping naked. He like pulls down his socks, uh, starts unwrapping his shin pads, and it was just like he knows. Everybody knew, and it was just kind of sad. Yeah, um, I, 
a more recent report I'm looking up right here, uh, just from uh, within the last 24 hours, um, does say that uh, Graham Potter says it's not nearly as bad as they thought um, at the time, and uh, that um, there there's even talk of him uh, and Ben White, who also was injured in the match, um, returning to uh, training by the end of this week is what they're hopeful for. So hopefully it is just a, uh, a minor, because I believe it was a no-contact injury, mm-hmm. um, which typically is like the worst thing that can happen to yeah. you. <laughs> um, but it seems like maybe this was just, uh, he had taken a couple of blows there, you know, uh, in during the match and just like had a, a pulled a muscle really poorly and, and it felt like much worse or something, you know? So hopefully it's not as bad and they're not just being diplomatic themselves, but I just, I just hate it for the guy, but you're absolutely right. Like he's one of those tales. Sturge was one of those tales of guys that just, Never could quite keep the 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 fitness like they uh, like they needed. So, oh well, we do wish him uh, the best and his uh, what should hopefully be a very quick recovery. But that match itself is three one in Chelsea's favor, of course. Um, and I, I think that now the uh, the always controversial Timo Warner, <laughs> yeah, Timo Warner. Uh, Probably excelled uh, more so than many of the other uh, Chelsea players. Really stood out. I mean, uh, what was your take? I mean, what do you think of, of that that Chelsea squad right now and uh, the way that they debuted, and in particular, old Timo? Uh, I um, they were all right. They actually were not the better team in that match. Surprisingly, they they went very direct most of the time. And I think there were a few articles out today about like Timo weren't better than this. Essentially about that. I'm just hoofing it over the top and hoping he would run onto it. But mm. honestly, if Brighton had a striker that was half the quality of Timo Werner, they probably could have won that match. They had the better chances. Tariq Lamptey kind of gave Marcus Alonso the runaround, um, uh, John Popper style. And this <laughs> was just a match that uh, it was just you. they have better players. Chelsea have better players, and better players end up making their own luck um it was a a a terrible objectively it was a great pass by alzate however it was to the wrong team uh and but to the right timo and so timo ended up winning the penalty from that Uh, and it was just from there they just kept shooting themselves in the foot by just not being able to finish and making mistakes and brian got a bit unlucky with reese james hitting the shot of his life Mm-hmm. Uh, into the upper corner and then getting that weird deflection from the Zuma shot that went in. Uh, but, I mean, it's a game of fine margins. But really, they Chelsea did not look that impressive overall. I mean, you, you can tell they have the building blocks to be good, but I think it was mentioned last week on the pod, this is the time to be playing them because they're still figuring stuff out. Pulisic wasn't even in the squad. He'll probably be back this weekend. But they, they're trying to figure out how to use all of the creative attacking players they have and it was a little little disjointed in this first game yeah as as to be expected I mean not just trying to learn what to do with all these new players but also you know what to do with uh, very little actual preparation and recovery time from the end of last season until now and I mean Chelsea had moments uh, last season um, in the particularly in the comeback you know they had moments in which they you know looked amazing and then they had moments in which you watched them and you were like, what team even is this? You know, uh, they were one of the more I, I felt like at least and I could be way off on this, you know, and I will gladly always admit my <laughs> my shortcomings. I'm, I'm in my analysis, but they, they always seem to me to be one of the bigger like hit or miss type of teams um, mm. when the league started back up. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Like this is this is a game that uh, it's. You know, it a, a few, as we know well, uh, well know, uh, a few centimeters can mean uh, a massive difference. And in this particular case, yeah, I mean, um, you had some things like the uh, the Zuma, uh, the third goal that was scored. Um, I almost said Zima for a second there, thinking about that sweet, sweet beverage. Um, <laughs> uh, 
but you know, like, yeah, just looking at the flow of the game, for example. I mean, Werner gets the penalty, but Brighton actually levels the score a little bit later on. Um, and so you've actually got a, a, a draw um, for quite a bit. Um, let's see. Yeah, uh, the 54th minute is when Brighton got theirs. Uh, so you actually had a draw right there in the 54th. The Reese James shot happens just like a minute later. Um, but for a little bit in there, yeah, Brighton has leveled things before, uh, as you said, better players make their own luck. That seemed to be what happened there. Um, so the question, I guess, comes down to, all right, let's say that Brighton uh, maybe was unlucky, unfortunate, uh, maybe the better team, but didn't have the better result, you know, that sort of thing. Let's say that that's true. Uh, do we have... I mean, obviously, we've got the quality. There's no question. You know, Mane, Salah, Firmino. If if Brighton was able to to make some moves against the Chelsea defense, you know, you got to think that the, our attacking three... Well, the question there is, do we have um, enough going for us right now to be able to take advantage and score those goals? And... I mean, we'll get to it a little bit more in a minute here um, as to whether or not we'll be able to stop Chelsea from scoring goals because I think that's the biggest question here. But, I mean, like, all signs seem to point to us being able to get some goals against Chelsea, right? Yeah, and uh, especially if Kepa's still in goal. I mean, he right. reminded everyone in the Brighton match that he is not very good and him actually making a save was probably the most breathtaking thing in the entire match that included a ripper into the upper 90 from right. 25 out so i mean if he's playing any team playing against them has a chance but that that the attack was one of the few things that worked correctly for us against leads um and you could see kind of how a more progressive midfielder like nabby made more chances and led to more combinations that kept them on their toes and kind of exposed their gung-ho style for being mm -hmm. a little suicidal in a sense mm -hmm. that they may or may not be able to play that way week in week out in the premier league despite it being super fun and despite it working in the championship I and mean, this is just a step above and they're playing the champions and we will be able to make chances and force them into mistakes but uh, like you like you said will we be able to keep them from scoring because as we saw uh, on saturday if we're not on and we're playing really badly, then anyone with any type of plan can make us look foolish and pull us all over the place. So, and that is one thing, I guess, with more time. Uh, I, I've been less frustrated with how we were playing, giving leads more credit for executing what they wanted to do, but also we certainly helped them do what they wanted to do. By like, It wasn't just them making us look bad, and it wasn't just us being bad it was a combination of the two but yeah. man we were bad so yeah. we can't be that bad against Chelsea because they'll I mean they're probably going to drop Loftus-Cheek they're probably going to drop Mount into the midfield and bring Pulisic in and that's going to be tough yeah exactly you would expect this to be our first look at what should be full strength Chelsea um, for this entire season uh I say entire season. They might go off and sign 13 more people before the, <laughs> the transfer window ends. It seems to be what they're, they're into right now. Okay, so if... Uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right with the, the Leeds analysis. I mean, it was it is a combination of both. Um, it still is kind of glaring the mistakes that we made on our end. But there were some very, you know, positive things that, uh, you know, we can take from that Leeds matchup. I'm curious what you think will be... Um, Again, looking kind of at like our, our attack, you mentioned the importance of, of Nabby for in particular against Leeds. Um, who do you think would be a, a key player um, towards being able to get some goals against Chelsea? Who do you think is going to be our, our player that we rely on or we can expect to have a, a standout performance maybe? I think it's probably going to be Mo. Just, I mean, he's on form and yes, Mane is very good as well, but... I don't think Ben Chilwell will be fit for this. That's what it's seeming like, at least. And Salah, on current form against Marcus Alonso, is absolutely mouthwatering for <laughs> all of our fans. 
and him especially. I mean, this, he's going to have a field day with that. Um, I, it's, it, so, I, yeah, he's going to be crucial, and uh, we're going to be able to make opportunities and make space for ourselves, and I think we have the, the quality to take those, those chances for sure. No question. I wouldn't even be surprised to see a little bit more um, aggressiveness from uh, our midfield in terms of trying to, to go for goals themselves. Um, just because I think that they're, uh, they probably know this will be a match in which Chelsea's going to try to run uh, with us the entire way. You know, Chelsea mm-hmm. is not going to uh, sit back, park the bus, anything like that. They are going to probably come out swinging full force. And I think that our, uh, our midfield is sitting there looking at it and going, hmm, ooh, we, one little misstep there. And, and all of a sudden we've got like a, Fabinho rocket, you know, that type of thing, you know, you never, you never quite know. Um, so yeah, I do think, I think you're right though. I mean, uh, Salah always, I feel like has a little bit of a, uh, uh, a little bit more motivation against Chelsea. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a, because Chelsea supporters, of course, just hate him really hate the fact that he left Chelsea and was, and then became the player that they expected to sign when he signed with Chelsea, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think they're upset about that. So I think he always has a little bit more motivation um, going into it. So that, that would make sense as well. How about the defense, though? Let's not... We have to talk about it at some point, I guess. But uh, obviously, the defense was in question some uh, at the end of last season. And then against Leeds, um, there were... Uh, a, I mean, we give should give a lot of credit to Leeds, but there also were a lot of mistakes that set Leeds up for several, uh, for at least a few of their goals. <laughs> several of their goals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, what do you think? What do you think is going to be uh, the key to fixing what seems to be a uh, maybe a bit more of a lingering problem than we've wanted to admit, um, but is, is still kind of hanging around in some regard? What's going to be the key there, you think? I think first and foremost, what we'll probably do, um, and that will just give more bodies in there, is we'll probably bring Fabinho back in, mm-hmm. um, even though he didn't have the best preseason, maybe not the best end to last season, despite scoring his thunderbolt against Crystal Palace. I think right. he will he will give that stability and just give that body in midfield to be disruptive when to what they're trying to do, especially when they have a lot of players that want to be in that area. Um, so that I think that will help. Will also help that Trent will have had another week to heal from his calf problem. I mean, he looked off the pace. He looked unfit. He just looked like he hadn't had a preseason uh, against Leeds, and that is exactly what happened. So, I mean, the closer we can get him to fitness, the better. Uh, and the same goes for Henderson. Uh, I mean, he he looked the same. He looked like he was coming off an injury, hadn't played, and several weeks um but now he'll have been in training another week he'll have had time to adjust and hopefully be back to his best uh and honestly it it might require bringing in joel matip for joe gomez because joe Mm -hmm. gomez is looking a little error prone he's looking more like a young defender uh he's looking more like he hasn't fully gotten back into the swing of things yet and i I don't know i mean he's was not very reassuring back there and I don't know if dropping him would be the best thing for his confidence, but Matip and Van Dyke have shown in the past that they can keep clean sheets and they can be immensely solid at the back. So I don't know. It might be time to see the gangliest person in our squad come back in. <laughs> yeah, I I believe that the the Virgil and Gomez combination is the more dynamic combination, but the Virgil and uh, Matip combination is the one that um, probably stabilizes things when things are a little bit shaky. So that would make sense to me. But that does bring up, I think, is is, is a big point um, as well to towards what will repair this defense, what will kind of right the ship a little bit and what might be going a little bit wrong is we're probably not going to see that shaky of a Virgil van Dyke performance again. Yeah, uh, that probably. was uh, just uncharacteristic. Um, I was talking with... Uh, a friend of mine, he's the the actually the soccer coach at the school that I work at, and he was telling me um, 
He's like, he, he, I just don't think that... He's like, Virgil's probably the best I've ever seen in the air. Like, even in a shaky performance, he was still impressive, like, in the air. Mm-hmm. And you saw it on that just authoritative header uh, that got went in for the goal, you know? Um, but it still was just, yeah, uncharacteristic. He had the... Uh, we talked a bit about it, but the little... Um, no look, try to flick the pass backwards that just went straight to uh, a Leeds player um, was uncharacteristic, was uh, not something that you often saw mental um, lapses like that out of a player of his caliber. Uh, but you really, the last time you would have seen something like that is, you know, about a year ago at this time, <laughs> when, uh, early in last season in which we had a matchup in which, uh, I forget who, who it was we were going against, but um, you know, Allison had a bit of a gaff and Virgil had a bit of a gaff. I believe in the same match. Um, I'm trying to remember what match that was now, but uh, you know, it it does happen from time to time, but it really seems to be about a once a season thing. And so <laughs> I just don't think that you're gonna see that uh sloppy of a performance from Virgil van Dyke again. You're not probably not gonna see that type of mental error from Virgil van Dyke again because we know he is such a hard worker that he is going to be a bit of a perfectionist in adjusting that sort of thing as well. So, yeah. Sure, like, Gomez is is not uh, where he probably should be right now, but I think more more is going to be decided by um, whether Virgil is back to Virgil uh, this weekend and not so much whether uh, who it is that he's partnered up with, I guess. So yeah. And the confidence to try that stuff is what we love about him. But right. also when it's very well known that you will do that stuff, people will start to protect against it. will start to build that into their play when they're around you. Um, so it might just, it'll help know to like teach everybody that despite all of our players being immensely good, we can't take mm-hmm. anything for granted and we can't just get away with all the skills because we're good. So it, it might just end up we might end up mixing in some boring defending yeah. with the the flare kind of stuff that we do and there's nothing that wrong with boring defending because it will hopefully help us keep clean sheets again so uh, that that could that could be the the surprise is that we just do some kind of basic stuff uh that we wouldn't necessarily expect but just to keep people on their toes because that's so it makes those kind of things work really well is that when they don't know that they're coming I fully agreed. Um, this is a prime opportunity to kind of get back to the basics a bit. Um, and I, I maybe even not really like hit the reset button in any sort of way, but sort of come into this matchup and in, in with the mindset of, okay, this is a new season and we need to start over as if it is a new season. We don't need to be jumping into match week two and acting like it's match week, you know, 40 of uh, of last year, you know, um, a, a chance to kind of mentally refresh as well, I think would be super important. Um, it's always going to be awkward not having fans around. Uh, you can't feed off of any sort of motivation in that regard, whether you're at home and you have your supporters or you're on the road and you're trying to shut up a crowd, you know, mm-hmm. not having that is always just going to be awkward. And it's going to, um, if you don't have the emotional drive in the same sort of way, you have to focus on the basics. You have to focus on just being fundamentally a better team than your opposition. And this is a prime chance, I think, for Liverpool to do that, to say, okay, that was last week. Uh, Leeds was exciting all over the place, and maybe we took kind of overlooked him a little bit. This is not the same team, and we have to, uh, we have to take them seriously. And in, and in order to take them seriously, we have to – get back to the fundamentals um and and there's the the added benefit of uh the the growing kind of feud between lampard and klopp i saw it at the in the match where we did the trophy lift last season uh we kind of saw it in the press recently when klopp was talking about why we're not spending uh i I know he klopp kind of subtweeted chelsea in that but lampard Made, made no pretensions about how he interpreted that message. Uh, mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how, how much crap they talk to each other in the press conference. And it's, it's probably going to be a lot more like wrestling uh, 
uh, where they're speaking directly to the camera. They're pointing at, they're calling people out, doing some some just ridiculous showmanship. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for them to just beat the hell out of each other. Klopp would 100% be like a Hulk Hogan type, like calling everyone brother and uh, yeah. and kind of just like being a little bit like. But and uh, Lampard would be I don't know, like Kurt Angle. I feel like Kurt Angle was like kind of just a lame wrestler, you know. Like he had the whole like I'm an Olympian and I won Olympic medals and that's my entire personality. So I feel like. That's Lampard. Yeah. His entire personality is I was a player and I won some medals and that's yeah. my entire personality. I didn't expect that metaphor to fit as well as it did when I started it, but by the time I got to the end, I liked it. I liked it a lot. We have to refine this a bit more, I think. Yeah, it'll be a big storyline. Those uh the I mean it's always been a bit of a rivalry, you know, the club mm-hmm. with all the history versus the club with none of the history. Yeah. Um and uh, this is just another, just another chapter in it. Klopp and, and Lampard, uh, the established um, top manager in the league versus the, the former player club legend who's trying to establish himself as a manager. It's pretty fascinating. Is it weird to you how many, like, because you got Lampard and you've got Arteta now. Like, is it weird to you so many clubs are going to, like, recent club legends as like their coaches, like right off the bat, uh, it is definitely makes me feel old. Uh, it's like <laughs> right. wow, I remember watching him play, and now he's a manager. I mean, I I know there was a lot of that kind of discussion when Pirlo was appointed as the Juventus manager. Yeah, uh, and funnily enough, he got his official coaching badges yesterday. I think it was because like, I mean he'd but, only been a coach for nine days before he got the the full time job. So yeah, I, it just seems like a lot of teams are trying to just capture what Zidane did at Real yeah. Madrid. They're like, everybody now, will respect this guy. No one will respect this nerd like Nagelsmann who shows up in a snakeskin suit with eight pairs of suspenders on. <laughs> it does help Pirlo, though, that he is well into his 70s by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, he has a little bit more clout in that regard. Like, Lampard, it, you know, I don't I don't feel as old. It's like, Lampard, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was just playing not all that long ago. But then you talk to me about Pirlo, and I'm like, yeah, I feel like he retired before I was born, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting trend. And I hadn't made the connection uh, with uh, Zidane. Um, but you're absolutely right. That seems to be, like, kind of why. Because uh, you don't see it that much in other sports um, where a player who's recently retired instantly becomes like a head coach. Um, I can think of uh, maybe one time in the NBA with Jason Kidd not long ago. And then they just hired, Brooklyn just hired Steve Nash. Um, uh, he's a soccer pundit, not so- a soccer, not a soccer basketball. legend, soccer pundit, <laughs> Steve Nash. <laughs> um so he just got hired, but you don't see it in too many other sports. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that um, you're starting to see it in this. And I wonder if it's just because like the nature of the sport allows like the players to transition into coaching a little bit more because of the um, kind of the free flowing tactical aspect of it. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see like where all these guys are in a couple of seasons. You know? Yeah. Is yeah. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Yeah, and in a couple of, I mean, in a couple of seasons when when Liverpool has hired Steven Gerrard to replace yeah. Jurgen Klopp, I mean, yeah, I mean it's you see a lot more players at the end of their career while they're still on teams, while they're still contracted as players, they're going through coaching classes, and you, mm-hmm. you're seeing that more and more. It seems like that has just been where the the game has shifted, where the way to earn respect most of the time is to just be well known as an amazing player rather than a master tactician or something like that. Uh, and not necessarily on the master tactician side anymore, but you look at why Jose Mourinho isn't succeeding anymore. It's just because maybe that's, I know it's been said a lot, but a manager like that can't really work in uh, the today's modern environment where you really just need someone who can step into training and just clown some of his own players and just remind everyone that he is in charge. For sure. For sure. 
um, the uh, the locker room authority presence. Yeah, um, it's definitely something that goes. Uh, I think goes a long way in that regard. Um, hey, speaking of Jose Mourinho, let's let's go on a bit of a a tangent right here and talk about some of the bigger news going on right now about the uh, apparent tentative return of Gareth Bale to uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, what what you think about that? I mean, he has to go somewhere because Lord knows Real doesn't want him around. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be really weird. Uh, and I saw it summed up perfectly uh, on Twitter earlier today. Someone was like, "Gareth Bale is the 27th player that Tottenham have signed to replace Gareth Bale." <laughs> so I, I think that's about exactly where they are as a club right now. They're just it, it's opportune. Uh, we'll see if Real Madrid ends up paying some of his wages because I'm sure his wages are the entire stadium worth, mm-hmm. entire new stadium worth of finances. But it'll be interesting. I mean, he hasn't played in a while. He looked really rusty the last time he played for Wales. So it, it'll be interesting. I don't know how his recent past and a manager like Jose Mourinho are going to gel. But it also seems like Deli Alley is going the other way potentially, and that might even be more interesting to see how that works. Mm-hmm. So I, there's a lot going on. It's pretty wacky. It just is. That's hilarious. I remember the early days of this podcast when we were having lengthy discussions before we had really narrowed it down to being a Liverpool podcast. So it might even be before you came in. And it was like just me and Zach talking about the Premier League as a whole, and we were trying to narrow like discuss how Tottenham was spending all that Gareth Bale money. (laughs) And here we are now, and it's like, oh, he might be coming back. Um, Like, the apparently, Mourinho had tried to make um, moves to get him when uh, he was at Real and when he was at United. Um, And it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to wonder, okay, you've been really focused on maybe trying to get this one player for a while. Are you sure you want him now? Like, is it really worth... Going, I know you've been like in love with him for a while here, but is it really worth going after a 31 year old? Doesn't get into the team because like they don't like him, and he clearly does not want to be there anymore. Like, are, are you sure this is what you want right now? Yeah. But who knows? I mean, you could you could end up with a guy who you keep just happy enough so that he's more than willing to come in and do some of the stuff that he did against us in the Champions League final a couple of years ago. You know. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Might be able to. It's just such a weird story to have to even <laughs> talk about. Like <laughs> the twenty seventh player to, they brought in to replace Gareth Bale. I love it. Love it so much. So I've got a question for you. It's transfer related as well. But it's- all right, I refuse or- to answer it. I want you to know. I absolutely refuse to acknowledge that you have a question for me. It's not how this podcast works, and I'm upset. Yeah, the the temporary host is overstepping his bounds here now that the main host is back. Uh, uh, but, I mean, there's been a lot of, of rumors lately, uh, and especially in light of Sheffield's lack of goals against mm. Wolves, that they're in for a striker. And there's a lot of rumors going around that we're willing to let Rian Brewster leave for, mm. permanently uh, I mean, with a buyback clause, but we're willing to let him go. Um, that is either an interesting move on our part or a move on our part to say – we know you want to play. We want to grant your wish to go play somewhere because we don't think you'll play here, but we think you're good enough and we want to potentially bring you back if you show that you're good enough. So how do you feel about him potentially leaving? There's been a lot of talk about him. We were excited about him last season while he was on loan, but what do you think of this potential end to his Liverpool career if it happens? Well, you know, and it's worth noting that he has been um, pegged by many people to be one of the potential breakout youngsters for this season. You know, there are a lot of people preseason that uh, I guess probably are just people trying to, like, stir up, like, betting odds and <laughs> or something to get yeah. people to, to bet on things. But, you know, a lot of a lot of pundits talking about how they felt like he was um, one of the top candidates to emerge in a, in a similar to, like, a, you know, Marcus Rashford style, like, um, okay, like, he's finally getting a little bit of playing time and then can explode into being a, a mm-hmm. contributor type of uh, role is what some people are saying. So because of that, I, I don't see the point right now at the ripe old age of 20 years old <laughs> um, for us to necessarily 
move him away permanently if the talks are him leaving to go to a place like Sheffield. Um, if he, you know, if he was getting attention from an, another league, then yeah, I could totally understand a, a permanent move, even with like how ripe of potential he is right now. Um, but talking about just a team in the league that chances are would be more than happy to bring him on a loan and play him all the time in search of scoring goals and fitting, if it is Sheffield, fitting their, you know, um, offense-focused style, you know, their kind of tip of all that. Uh, it just seems like it would make a whole lot of sense for them, obviously, to pursue a, a sale, you know, but to accept a loan at the very least, um, as it would for us as well. The question, I think, is whether we feel like um, and this is what it would make sense for me is if we feel like this is a chance to pull in a little bit of income that we can put on a uh, not a developing player, but like in a, a bit more established rotation player, because we know Brewster's not going to be in our starting 11. Um, he may not even really be quite in the rotation right now. If a team is all willing to, uh, to take him on a loan um, like Sheffield and play him a lot in the Premier League. I mean, that's best case scenario for Liverpool, obviously. But um, if we're looking at a situation in which we feel like we can, if we feel like, for example, because one of the, the rumors being that that's money that we would try to turn around and spend on like someone like uh, Ismail Sar, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to be a, a, a slightly more established uh, rotation guy, a guy that uh, we feel like is already comfortable in the league, and could be a, a you know consistent sub, possible injury replacement type of guy, and maybe we just feel like Brewster isn't at that place quite yet. And so if our mentality is, we need this for some reason right now, you know, like we need to bring in a personnel that can help out right now, and we're not going to spend Tiago money because um, apparently we're not. Yeah. Uh, then I could see that move making sense, but. To me, there has to be a justification for permanently losing someone who in a year could be, I mean, a a, a perfect replacement for uh, an attacker who's getting a little bit older type of situation, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, we all know forwards tail off quickly. You know, once, once forwards yeah. start to hit their uh, early 30s, I mean, there's... <laughs> typically a, a big drop off at some point. So we it just seems like there's a lot of potential there. But if there is a if there is a justification and a plan for removing him so we can bring in somebody that is an instant contributor, then it makes sense to me and I'd be okay with it. Um because right now we love the kid, but we love the kid based off of uh what we've seen him do in small leagues and potential. And nothing mm-hmm. nothing really concrete yet. So it, it's a contingent um, acceptance <laughs> for me of a, of a potential permanent move. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like a decision that we made because of the, like, of the COVID finances. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like that would have been the thing to do, the thing that we wanted to do overall, because there were, I mean, it was not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago when he was coming back, it was like, all right, he's, he's in the picture for the first team. He might get some game time this season. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it became, well, Liverpool might be more open to leaving and letting him leave permanently. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it seemed like a surprise, but looking at our prolonged transfer saga with Tiago, I mean, the, the, the lack of signing Tim O'Werner, who, who mm-hmm. was oh, spoken openly, openly to ESPN about how much he is content with having picked Chelsea. Uh, with ha- not picked, having ended up at Chelsea, right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, we've we've. If you look at it objectively, and you say we have sold a player that will not play for us, and put a buyback clause just in case yeah. to turn that money into Tiago, that sounds great on paper. But sure. overall, with we know what the what his potential skill ceiling is, um, it 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 seems uh, a bit seems a bit harsh almost, but uh, like I, I've heard it. Someone was talking about it earlier this week on another podcast, and they were saying like, well, this could be good for him there. He's 
he's going out to a team and he's not always looking over his shoulder at, well, maybe I'll end up there next season. Right. Maybe I'll play well enough to get there. He gets to go and he gets to put down roots. He gets to live somewhere in like a house, not in like a rental. Uh, And he gets to have a home. And if it works out for him, then we just buy it back. But it just, and as we've spoken before ad nauseum, that most of the time when we loan players, that means we hate them. It means (laughs) go away, get out. You don't have a locker here. Your stuff is at the curb. Um, So maybe that's, a different approach for saying that we actually like you more than most of our loan players. So we put that buyback clause in, but I mean, I, I, I will, I, I'm sad that if it potentially happens, but if we sell him and get Tiago, I'm not going to be like, well, this was terrible. It's a bad yeah. move. It, it seems like a very much of a, we've got to do something now if we really want to do something. And this is the unfortunate way we have to do it. But yeah, I, I hope he stays, but if he goes, it will be sad, but we'll have that buyback clause. Exactly. If the if the buyback clause, if if all the rumors so far are true about there being a buyback clause, about you know um, everything that has been reported by the sources that you know uh, seem to be reliable, then it, it makes a little bit of sense because you know we're not in a we're not in a building situation as a club. Um, we're just not, and we don't know what's going on. Maybe you know he's looking at uh, what's going on uh, with the club and saying. Uh, yeah, I can tell that you're you don't have plans to use me right now. So like let me go somewhere else and establish my name and sign a, a couple year contract somewhere so that, you know, in a year or two if I've really established myself, other teams might come calling, or if we have that buyback clause, he's established, hey, look, yeah, put me in now. Um I, there's probably much more incentive for a player to have a at least semi permanent con you know, move set in place to go and perform better than just going on loan. I think that's a great point um, that, you know, we've now stolen from another podcast, but I think it's a great point (laughs) there about how uh, it could just be better for him, uh, his mental preparedness, that sort of thing. So makes sense. Um, Maybe he's a little restless being uh, always on the bench or out on loan, you know, and he's just ready for more as he hits his twenties. It makes sense. But I just really feel like, there have to be some favorable conditions um, yeah. in, you know, in our favor that go along with this buyback clause, obviously being a major one um, or some immediate plan on what to do with that funding, whether it is we put it towards Tiago and finally meet, you know, match that price tag, or we move shift it over and bring in someone like an Ismail Asar who we feel like could also be a, a contributor. So, but it's conditional. That's just because we love the kid. Yeah. All right, we do love the kid, um, but not enough to keep talking about him. Now let's look ahead. <laughs> Sorry, that was bad. All right, let's look ahead um, to our actual match against Chelsea. We've obviously been discussing it in great detail so far, but uh, we need to wrap up the episode doing what we normally do and throwing down a little scoreline prediction. Alex... What do you expect to see out of this matchup? What's the score you're going to predict? Uh, I expect to see our our preferred midfield three back in. Uh, I would maybe like to see Matip come in, but there's the potential that we'll leave Gomez in because he can keep up with Timo Werner uh, pace-wise. So that could be the thing, but I don't know. I think Matip probably deserves a shot given Gomez's some of his recent performances. Uh, and, you know, I think it's going to end up being, I'm going to predict this, and it's going to be the exact opposite. I think it's going to be very similar to the match at the end of last season. Just a wild 5-3 roller coaster. Everyone's playing very strangely, but there's a lot of nice goals, and there's also some weird goals. But I think it'll be high scoring. Both of these teams are very set up to attack when they want, and I think they'll shift some things around. They could even move Havertz into midfield because that's, that's where he's best when he's playing that kind of attacking mid role so they, they've got options really we've we don't necessarily have options but our the options that we have are spectacular so it, while we won't maybe see some surprise shifts i think we'll see what we know and what we expect and that match last week will certainly have reminded the team that despite being champions we can't take anything for granted right and we don't want to pull the equivalent of the world cup champion going out in the group stages at the next world cup so 
I think it'll be chaotic and exciting. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. 5-3 again. <laughs> wow. There it is. Oh, the bold prediction from the boldest member of the podcast. And I, when I say bold, I mean like bold, like the way that font is bolded. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm definitely more so the italicized member of the podcast. You're definitely the bold. I agree one. with that. I think we all would. We all see it. Uh, this is a matchup that, um, you know, I, I, the saying that, that you mentioned, you said it earlier, but a lot of people are saying this is the time to play against Chelsea as they're still trying to figure things out. This is also the time to be playing against Liverpool as we're still <laughs> trying to figure things out, uh, which is not, not a great sign. Um, and so I expect there to be goals um, because right now both teams um, are a little, are still feeling things out, figuring things out a little bit. And, uh, I I'm gonna go ahead and actually predict a uh, a three two Chelsea victory, um, and I think that uh, this is a a big it's it go it's the early setback that becomes a big catalyst um, towards the team getting out of the uh, championship slumber that uh, <laughs> we kind of dealt with since since earning the the trophy um, during the restart and then that towards the end of last season I think this will be a good motivator. Um, so that being said, I'm normally very wrong about things. So who knows? Maybe we'll win seven, nothing, but, uh, that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to think that this is a, something just happens to go, uh, doesn't even have to be a deserved Chelsea goal, but something goes against us in a way that this produces an early season loss and becomes a galvanizing force for the squad. You like that term? Yeah, I do. I, you get the gold star for using, a. An appropriate yes. sports term there. Yes. Love it. Love it. So it'll be exciting. Um, or at least we say it'll be exciting. This will, So it'll end up being the most boring match that anyone <laughs> has ever seen in their lives. Um, but it should be exciting uh, coming up this, uh, this Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, on the 20th. Yeah. Um, so be a good time. Oh, uh, we do want to uh, before we we completely wrap things up. Let's uh, let's take a quick look at the YNTA Fantasy League uh, score sheet. I know I did astoundingly well <laughs> because I signed up for the league. Uh, you have to auto. You have to at least pick a team in order to uh, to finish signing up for the league. So I just auto picked and told myself I'll get back to it tomorrow, and then I didn't, and so. Uh, I have the worst auto-picked team I've ever seen in my life. Like, I think half the players are hurt, and the other half don't even play, like, ever. And so I don't know why the... it. it just, I learned my lesson of to pay better attention. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. But, uh, Alex, how are things looking in the YNTA League? Um. So let's see. We've got Kindergarten Klopp run by... Friend of the pod, Daniel Jones, 89 points. That is Woo! impressive. It's uh, insane. Also, also friend of the pod, Todd Schneck, if you remember from our oh, yeah. fantasy, the one fantasy episode we did when we realized, oh, wait, we're actually really bad at this and no one should yep. be listening to us nope. about, about anything. Uh, nope. He's in second with 79 points, a 10-point gap already after the first match week. I don't even, I don't even know how you get to 89 like i don't i don't know how to count that high uh, did daniel like triple captain mo salah for in, in week one <laughs> i i think he just had a team of exclusively mo salahs at every yeah. position it was just uh, mo. I, I will say i i think at this point i'm going through the table uh yes i i am the highest ranked <laughs> Uh, player, but surprisingly enough, despite you having three ineligible players and one injured player, you are two points behind me. <laughs> Surprise! I'm coming for you, man! I'm gonna, I'm gonna make... <laughs> Your team named Team. Team. <laughs> yep, because I was like, I gotta have a team name and I gotta pick a team. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do both of those things tomorrow. Here's my team. My name is Team. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, no one should ever, ever. I'll gladly, like, edit the podcast if you and Todd ever want to record another fantasy one. I'm not showing my face on a fantasy podcast ever again. I mean, I clearly have even no position to give advice, seeing as I 
beat a team that only featured seven players by two points. So. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I don't even know who my captain was. I bet my captain was an injured player. It was uh, it was a player who did not feature. <laughs> it was Michael <laughs> Obafemi who did not play. <laughs> Told you, man. I just know how to pick him. Know how to pick him? How did I get forty-one points? Uh, it looks said. like looks like you had Willian on your bench, and he came yes. in. Yeah, he came in for one of your ineligible midfielders. Yeah, uh, because yep. your other bench players <laughs> did not play either. I had multiple eligible players. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, William was subbed in for me. How nice. How nice. All right. Well, there you go. Oh, there's your fantasy update. Ho- hope everyone's doing better than I am in the in fantasy. <laughs> hope everyone's paying a little bit more attention. Um, this is just every year I don't pay any attention to fantasy, and then I always feel bad about it. So, whoops. I'm a busy Oops. man, Alex. I'm a busy man. Oh, so on that note, um, I clearly have other things to get to, being such a busy guy. So it's time to wrap up this podcast. Alex, thanks for jumping on. Uh, maybe we uh, can have a chance to record another quick little 15-minute uh, or so hard-hitting reaction episode um, on Sunday after our matchup against Chelsea. Maybe so. I mean, we predicted a minimum of five goals. I think that was the lowest score prediction that either of us picked, so it's going to be crazy. Oh no, we have set ourselves up for massive failure with that prediction. Whoops. (laughs) All right, well, on behalf of Zach and Will and Andrew, who could not be with us during this recording session, uh, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Never Talk Alone. Um, As always, Andrew sign us off. Andrew would then say something, uh, probably ramble for 30, 45 seconds, and then there'd be silence for a moment, and then I would say... Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.